Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Mark, to the Gospel record of Mark, and Mark and chapter number 1. Mark and chapter number 1. We are continuing with our series of the Gospel record of Mark. We just started on Wednesday, gave an introduction introduction to who John Mark is and this morning we took time to see the beginning of the gospel and see that the gospel record of Mark goes all the way back to the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist the forerunner to make the way straight before the Jesus Christ the Christ the Messiah the one that is coming and now as we pick it up we now see the introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the scene and so if you wouldn't mind to look with me into the gospel record of Mark chapter number one the gospel record of Mark chapter number one and notice with me starting at verse number nine the gospel record of Mark chapter number one and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number nine And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, notice if you don't mind, as we come (coughs) uh, to the gospel record of Mark chapter number 1, the gospel record of uh, Mark chapter number 1 and notice with me in verse number 10 where it says straightway coming up out of the water and we see this historical event in the life and ministry of Jesus dealing with the baptism of Jesus the baptism of Jesus and if you don't mind let's go to the Lord together and let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again that we could approach your throne room of grace. That we could come to you now and that we could look forward to seeing what you're going to do through the pages of Scripture. To let us know more about Jesus. And I'm praying that's our desire today. That we would know more about Jesus. Help us to understand more about the gospel record of Mark and the picture that it shows of Jesus Christ. And that we could understand that theme and that we can learn more about our Savior and model ourselves after him because of the things that we learn. Again, fill me with your spirit that you would settle everything, that you would let everything run the way that it ought to. So that way we can see you and there would be nothing to be a distraction from that. Again, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. You direct my thoughts. You direct my path. Help me to be settled down inside of your will. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As we continue with the gospel record of Mark this morning, we explained why we had the beginning of the gospel record of Mark and explained that each of the gospel records had a different beginning place for Jesus Christ, a different place that the gospel record started. Now, if you don't mind, I would love to take some time before we actually get into the context to explain the four different gospel records. And I would like to explain how each one of them show a different view of Jesus Christ. For this, we have provided you a chart and that you could see the chart (coughs) that is in there, right, Max? And I would like for you to see the different... uh, (laughs) pictures that the gospel records have. The first of all that we see the gospel record of Matthew. That it shows Jesus Christ portrayed as a lion because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It is written to the Hebrew people and it shows Jesus Christ as the king. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. So the gospel record of Matthew, what it does is it goes through and it shows the Old Testament fulfillment inside of Jesus Christ so that all the Hebrew people could understand who Jesus is. We know the gospel uh, writer here is Matthew, who, who was one of the twelve. As we see the gospel record of Luke, the gospel record of Luke portrays Jesus as the perfect man. And the emphasis is on his perfection, on his, on, his, on his humanity. And it is written to the Greek mind. To the Greeks, they were constantly looking for the perfect man. They were looking. That's why you look at Greek architecture and Greek uh, portraits and Greek statues that they always show that buff man and the most beautiful woman. That's because they are trying to find the perfect man, the perfect woman. And Jesus Christ is the perfect man. And so the gospel record of Luke is written as a historical record, much research done by Dr. Luke to show that Jesus Christ is the perfect man, that he is the sinless man. And that, that's the emphasis that is placed as you read through the gospel record of Luke. Of course, the gospel record of John is pictured as an eagle which soars high, far above all of the gospel records. And it shows that Jesus Christ is God and it is placing a great emphasis on his deity that Jesus claimed to be God and that Jesus was God and that all the world could understand who Jesus is. As we are studying the gospel record of Mark, we have to understand as we begin this, what is the emphasis of the gospel record of Mark? What is this book, this gospel, trying to picture Jesus as? We know that he is pictured as an ox. An ox is a beast of burden. It's something that works out in the field. And it is written to the Roman mind. To the Romans, they respected action. They didn't want words. They didn't want a lot of... um, (coughs) great speeches. They wanted you to prove yourself by action. And so the gospel record of Mark is written to the Roman mind. And it doesn't have a lot of discourses of Jesus. It doesn't have Jesus preaching a lot. But it shows Jesus' actions. What does Jesus do? In fact, within the gospel record of Mark, there are 16 chapters. 12 of them start with the word and. It is the book of continual action. What does Jesus do next? Jesus do next. Jesus do next. And inside of the gospel record of Mark, it shows Jesus portrayed as the perfect servant. As the perfect servant. 
What we see in the gospel record of Mark is that there is no lineage. Inside of Matthew, we see the kingly line that Jesus Christ is the king. Inside of the gospel record of Luke, we see a genealogy showing that Jesus Christ is the perfect man in his lineage through Mary. In the gospel record of John, we see that it lines Jesus directly to God, that Jesus Christ was a descendant of God. But in the gospel record of Mark, there is no lineage. Why not? Because no one cares what the lineage of a servant is. No one cares the pedigree of a servant. Because the only job of a servant is to obey his master. Nobody cares where he came from. So there is no lineage. So this is going to be a different book than the rest of the gospel records. Because what it is doing is it's portraying Jesus as the perfect servant. And this is what we find in the gospel record of Mark. And so if you don't mind, let's go back to the text with this theme in mind, this idea of mind, that Jesus is pictured as the perfect servant. Notice if you don't mind, the very first thing I want to put your attention to, first of all, is the visit. The visit. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 9. And it came to pass in those days. So as John the Baptist is preaching, as John the Baptist is making the way straight, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now this is important because the author here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is placing emphasis on where Jesus came from, of Nazareth of Galilee. Now why is this important here? It's because Nazareth and Galilee were looked down with contempt by the rest of Judea. If you can imagine in your mind a part of the country where people are looked at to be a little bit slower and a little bit dumber. The Galileans were easily picked out by their dialect, by their grammatical errors, and their mispronunciation of words. So if you can imagine a part of the country where people say y'all, where people say winder, where people say wash. It's a type of place here. <laughs> the Galileans were known for the way that they speak. That whenever you come to a proper Judean and people who knew how to speak and knew how to dress and then a backwoods Galilean per person comes in. Hi y'all, how you doing? And everyone looks and says, can you say that again? Hi y'alls, I've never heard anybody speak like that. Say that again. And they ask them to mispronounce or to hear their words and to make fun of how they speak. That's what Galilee was like. Now Nazareth was like the obscure town of Galilee. It's like the sticks. It's like the backwoods. You know, not to put too much of a point on it, but there's a difference between Tennessee and West Virginia. In Tennessee, they have a southern accent, but they're, they're a little bit civilized. But out in West Virginia, well, you know, you can tell that the toothbrush was invented in West Virginia. Because if it was invented anywhere else, it would be called the teeth brush and not the toothbrush. And that's exactly how Galilee was. That it was bad enough that Galilee was the backwoods. It was the people where people didn't talk right. It was the place where they didn't speak right. They had grammatical errors and they said things a little bit different and a little bit off. But in the midst of that, you had Nazareth. Nazareth was the place where Jesus Christ was raised. 
Now I want you to think about this. That Jesus Christ was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That Jesus Christ is the God who robed himself in flesh. And I want you to think about this. This same God came down to live on earth. And he could have lived anywhere he wanted. Jesus could have been born in a palace. But you know where Jesus Christ chose to be raised at? He was raised in a backwoods place. And in a town that was more backwoods than the rest of the backwoods. The place where people didn't talk right. The place where people made fun of them because of the way that they talked. He was chose to come in the sticks instead of the palace. Why? Because he's the perfect servant. Because it wasn't about his lineage. While he was on earth, he was to make himself of no reputation. And so Jesus Christ was born. And here we have him coming from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. So this was his purpose. He came to be baptized by John. Now you say, wait a second. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? What was his purpose? Well, we know that Jesus didn't need to repent. There was nothing to be repented of. He was the perfect son of God. You understand Jesus was sinless and he was always sinless. That means when he was in two years old, he didn't go through the terrible twos and didn't look at Mary, his mother, and say no. But even as a two-year-old child, he was perfect. Hard to believe, but even when he was a teenager... He was perfect and was submitted unto his parents. Even when his parents were wrong, he was the perfect example in childhood. And then he came to be baptized of John as an example of obedience. I want you to think about baptism. Baptism does not wash away your sins. We know that. That baptism, all that happens is that you get in some water and you get dunked, and you get wet. The baptism tank did not wash away your sins. In fact, in order to be baptized, you had to already be saved. You had to already be right with God. Well, Jesus was right with God because he was the perfect one of God. Why did he get baptized then? Because it was an act of obedience unto his father. And the only job of a servant is to obey. Why do we ask people to get baptized? It's not to wash away their sins. Baptism is often called the first step of obedience within the Christian life. You know what that means? That means that if there's someone out there that you've come to the place where you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, and you have never been biblically baptized, you are in disobedience. No matter what excuse that you may have, you are in disobedience. You say, well, that's some hard preaching. Yeah, we talked about John the Baptist earlier this morning, and he had some hard preaching too. Go read the scriptures. But we have to say what's plainly there. You know what Jesus got baptized for? Because of obedience. He was the picture of obedience. And when someone comes to the place where they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, the very first step for them of faith is to obey in baptism even though it doesn't do anything for them. Meaning it doesn't wash away their sins. It doesn't prepare them for heaven. It is to see if you're willing to obey what God 
has given you to do. And remember, Jesus is portrayed here as the perfect servant. That he was willing to obey his master in all things. Think about this. Not only was he obedient, but he was humble. Jesus went to John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to loosen the latchet of a shoe. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. And yet Jesus stepped in and said, John, I want you to baptize me. Later on in a different gospel record, a parallel passage, John would say, no, no, no. I'm not worthy. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. Jesus was willing to humble himself and allow someone to put him under the water. And above the water. By the way, as a little side note, the word baptize means to immerse. And it is a picture that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That in order to be properly baptized, you have to go all the way under the water to picture burial. One of the silliest pictures I've ever seen was a picture of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And they're in the Jordan River, have all of this water here, and yet... Uh, John the Baptist has a bowl sprinkling on Jesus. You have all this water. Why are you using a bowl? But it's neither here nor there. The word baptize just means to immerse, to go all the way under. And that is the picture that Jesus died. And then praise the Lord, he rose again. That's what baptism was. But Jesus humbled himself to, and allowed a human man to baptize him. In order for Jesus to be obedient to all righteousness to picture what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. So we start off with the visit. The visit. Jesus Christ came down to be baptized of John. Which brings us to the second thing here. The vision. The vision. Notice with me in verse number 10. And straightway coming up out of the water. Notice that word out. That means in order to go out of the water you first had to be in the water. So again, Jesus went all the way under and he came out of the water. And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit was like a dove descending upon him. Here, Jesus was baptized and immediately the heavens were opened up. Could you imagine being there in the banks of the Jordan River, watching as Jesus comes and already John is saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes and says, You baptize me. And John's like, No, no, you baptize me. And so Jesus was baptized, went all the way under the water, came out out of the water. And as soon as he did that, the heavens were open. And the Spirit of God came down pictured as a dove. What this did is it publicly endorsed Jesus' ministry. Publicly in front of everyone, they can see the Holy Spirit pictured coming down upon Jesus. Everyone can see it. This had God's ringing endorsement. We have the vision, but we also have something else. We have the voice. The voice. Notice with me in verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven. Now here this passage doesn't say who that voice is. But I'm wagering we can make a guess. This would be God the Father. A voice came from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, and whom I am well 
pleased. Why was God well pleased? Because Jesus was obedient to what the Father had given him to do. And at this moment, we have God the Son robed in flesh. We have God the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And we have the voice of God the Father. All three at the same place. We call this the Trinity. That all three were God. And at the moment, all three were present at the same place, at the same time in history. God the Father speaking. God the Son robed in flesh. And God the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. All three here at once. The picture. And of course what God said. This thou art my beloved son. And whom I well pleased. Could you imagine what it would be like to hear the voice of God? Could you imagine what it would sound like? No one would have to guess, who is that? Everyone would know who that was. It was God speaking and giving his endorsement. This is my son who am I well pleased because he is an obedient servant. Which brings me one last thing here. The gospel record of Mark does not spend a lot of detail on it, but it is tied into here. We see also the victory. The victory. Notice if you don't mind what occurs immediately after this. Verse number 12. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Now let me pause here. Some would have wondered why not after God's endorsement. After God's public endorsement. Why not do something else? Why send him out in the obscurity? You know how easy it would have been with the voice of God and everyone there hearing about it for someone to say, all right, we have God's anointed. Let's go march on the Capitol. Everyone there could have said, I heard the voice of God. Let's go do this. And let's go put a political change. Let's get rid of the Romans. Let's make the Hebrews uh, a nation of themselves once again. The reason why that didn't happen is that wasn't God's purpose. That wasn't what God was trying to do. Jesus Christ did not come the first time to rule. That's what he's doing the second time. The first time he is coming not to minister to us, but to die for us. That's why God has come. That's what it says in the gospel record of Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The word minister means to serve, to be a servant. Jesus Christ didn't come to have everyone serve him. He came to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's why God did not immediately have everyone storm the capital. But instead, God brought Jesus out to the wilderness. Why? Remember the whole theme of the gospel record of Mark. To show Jesus as the perfect, obedient servant. Notice again in verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he, that's Jesus, was there in the wilderness for 40 years days. He was cast into the wilderness to show victory over Satan. Now what Jesus did at this time is that Jesus when he was robed in flesh did not use his God powers, his deity. He never set aside his deity but he chose not to use it. Instead he was dependent upon God the whole time. He went out for 40 days 
in the wilderness to, to get victory over Satan. To prove that even though he lived in the flesh, he didn't have to give in to the flesh. Notice, if you don't mind, he was there in the wilderness, tempted uh, in the wilderness 40 days. Notice this, tempted of Satan. In this time here, this word tempted is a present tense participle, meaning it's continual action. Every day, Satan was tempting Jesus. It wasn't just 40 days and then, Jesus, and then Satan showed up. But for every day, for 40 days, was an intense spiritual battle with Satan. Satan was continually trying to tempt Jesus, trying to tempt him to use his deity for his own flesh. And we saw examples of that in other gospel records. But for 40 days he is tempting him. 40 days. But yet Jesus was dependent upon God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit during this time. Because he wanted to show us we can also live the same life being obedient to God and getting the victory. There's something else also in verse 13. Something that you probably never noticed before. If you don't mind, notice with me in verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. You see that? Most people probably just skimmed over that. For 40 days, not only was he intense spiritual battle with Satan, but he also had to work with the wild beast out in the wilderness for 40 days. This was a time where there was attack. There was physical attack. There was spiritual attack. He didn't have anything to eat. He didn't have anything to drink. He was only dependent upon not his own power, but the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to show that we ourselves can have victory as we're obedient to God. You see, this is the trick. It's showing Jesus Christ as the obedient servant the perfect servant and for us as we're obedient to God God will empower us as we're obedient to God God will give us victory as we're submitted to him God will do something within our life we don't have to give in to temptation Jesus has already won the victory we don't have to sin we don't have to sin as believers Jesus here is the perfect servant He's obedient to what God has given him to do. And he is there pictured as the obedient servant to give us something to follow. You know what God desires of us? To be obedient servants unto our master. Which brings me the question, how good of a servant are you? A servant that doesn't obey is not a good servant. A servant that doesn't trust their master is not a good servant. You understand? God desires to use us. But we are the servants, not God. God is God. He's the boss. He's the master. Our job is to obey Him. Our job is to submit ourselves to Him. And Jesus, when He was in the flesh, pictured and went through this to show that we can live that same life, not by our own power, but as we are submitted and depended upon God the Father 
and God the Holy Spirit. We too can have victory within our lives as well. Our job is to be obedient servants unto the Master. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.